so I want you to know that this is a sacred space. We don't come to put on or show off. We just come to be real with God. And uh, two weeks ago when we were last together, let me just also pause and say, it is no fun to cancel church on your birthday. I will just tell you, that was not a gift to me, okay? But we wanted you to be safe, and we felt like it was the best choice last week, but I'm really glad to be back with you today. But two weeks ago when we were together, we began a new series called Learning to Lament, and it's built around the idea that it's okay to not be okay. I'm going to say that one more time, because I think the world is telling you something different. It's okay to not be okay. And the reason that I say this is because God is inviting us to bring that very truth into the worship space on a weekly basis. That if you're not okay, you don't have to come in here and pretend that you are. It's okay to not be okay. Because we were reminded last week that life is hard, but God is good. Hard stuff is coming to us one way or the other. But God is present in and around it, and he wants to be a part of your heart. And those two truths, that life is hard and God is good, they're not independent from one another. They don't exist in two different stratospheres. They can actually exist in the same plane. And lament is the way that God has invited us to talk about our hard things. And so when we started this series two weeks ago, the goal was to make this space, when we gathered together for worship, was to make this place a safe place for us to come and do just that. To be honest with God about what is working and what isn't, what is hard and what is easy, and to trust him in the midst of both things. We learned together that lament is a feeling of sorrow or grief, and it's expressed usually very passionately, but it's also expressed authentically. And authentically is the piece that sometimes we've missed in a church service. Because many of us have come not okay and we've put on plastic shiny happy faces and masks and pretended that we are because that's what we think we're supposed to do here. But God is teaching us in lament that it's an authentic part of worship. Lament is a real part of authentic worship. You can come before the presence of God and not be okay and that's okay. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard me share just briefly a story of a really good friend of mine who said that growing up in church, lament was never talked about. It was never discussed. We came and we gave our testimonies of how good God was, how he showed up in our lives, and we never, ever talked about the places that were tough. God not only wants our laments, but he teaches us how to do it through his word, and I want this place to be a place where when we are not okay, we can be honest with God about it and know that he invites it from us. We don't have to pretend for the hour and 15 minutes that we're together that we've got it all put together and figured out because frankly, we don't. I don't. There are more often than not weeks when I stand or I sit before you like this and I am not together on the inside and sometimes on the outside. But we don't have to pretend and God has given us a way to be real with one another. And so I want to talk about not just what lament is, but actually how we can practice it with one another. And before I do that, before we get to learning how we lament together, I want to define one more word for you, and that's worship. Because in our context today, worship has only um, taken the, the place of the songs that we sing. 
Well, we're going to have some worship and some preaching, right? And so we've, we've drawn a dividing line about what worship is. But a more accurate definition of worship is regarding with great or extravagant respect or honor or devotion. It is a verb to worship, and it means that whatever demands the most of my attention, whatever has my greatest respect, whatever I show honor to is what I worship. So we demonstrate worship or we are worshiping when we devote ourselves to someone or something that is most important. And that will make you feel uncomfortable because as you look at your life, you might discover that you're worshiping some things you didn't know, like material possessions or food. Some people worship the Lord. He is the subject of their greatest devotion. For people like us who say that we believe in God and we're trying to figure out this journey with Jesus, we can be thankful because Jesus gave us a, a more well-rounded definition of worship. We read it in the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter, and Jesus says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The idea is we are commanded to be real and honest with God in his presence. We don't just invite his spirit and want our spirits to align with his. He says, be honest, be real. Speak to me truthfully about where you are. The apostle Paul affirmed the same thing when he wrote his letter to the church in Rome. And he said, you want to present your bodies all of you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. The way that you align your spirit with God and devote yourself wholeheartedly and extravagantly to him is to present all of who you are, which means that maybe we could define worship for us in this way, not just the songs that we sing, but worship is a whole life extravagant response. My head and my heart and my hands to who God is and what he's done. It's not just songs we sing or prayers that we pray. It's not a preached sermon on a Sunday morning. Worship is the way I respond to God every day with my heart and my head and my hands and all of who I am. And I say, you are the chief desire of all my affections. You're what I want more than anything and you are the one that I honor more than anything else. But I do want you to recognize something that is so crucially important. Neither Jesus nor Paul suggest that worship is just happy songs and positive moments. Nowhere in either of those definitions of worship, from Jesus or Paul, does it say, put on a smile and come in and pretend. In fact, Jesus knew better than anybody else what authentic worship looked like. And when he was honest with the Father, we not only saw his thanksgiving, but sometimes we saw real pain. And when God makes it possible that whole life worship is the good and the bad, is the strength and the weakness, is the joy and the sorrow, when Jesus said, my Father wants true worshipers, what he was saying was, I want... Authentic expressions, whether you are delighted or defeated. I'll take it either way. 
because what I really want is you. I'm not worried about how pretty you try to make your stuff look. I, I just want you, and I'll take you either way. God receives our worship in all forms that it comes. And here's the thing. God's servants throughout Scripture have modeled this for us. When you read the, the Word of God, you're not going to find happy, shiny stories. This isn't sunshine and unicorns, friends. This is people being real and honest with God, both in moments of total celebration and total devastation. Because here's the thing. Read the story of the priests in the temple and the prophets who kept coming with messages that, listen, people, if we don't get our act together, this is not going to turn out well. The priests wept over the people's disobedience toward God. The prophets proclaimed that devastation was coming and the defeat that God's people kept suffering at the hands of their enemies was because they were so fixed on being like everybody else and they couldn't be honest with God about the struggle within them to be who he called them to be, that they turned their affections and attentions elsewhere. And when they started fixing their eyes on everything else but God, when they started worshiping other idols and other nations and trying to fashion themselves in that way or this way, they lost sight of the only thing that mattered. And yet we have the stories of weeping prophets and sad priests and the devastation of God's people. Why? Because it's a part of the story of their worship because God wants it to be a part of the story of ours. We can show up and cry out to God and say, this is not right. And this is not fair. And it should not be this way. And this is unjust. And God doesn't dismiss us and say, well, come back and talk to me when you feel better. What he says is, I'm here. And I'm listening. And I have the power to intercede. And I may not do it in your time frame. But I am holy. And I am good. And I can, and I will. When we know all that, we can trust that lament and worship is just as honest and worthy as our praise is. We can bring God all of our petitions and all of our praise at the same time. So if lament is supposed to be a part of our worship, and God has given us direction to do it, then we look to his word to figure out what that looks like for us. Two weeks ago, I mentioned four actions of lament, that when we lament together, four things are happening. And this week, I want to look more closely, not just at what those things are, but examples that we see in Scripture that then apply to how we act together when we come to God's presence for worship. So the very first thing that we do in lament is come to God. It's a clear turn toward God and not away from him. And before you dismiss that and go, well, duh, <laughs> like that's what we're here for, consider this. The choice to come to God in our pain is not easy because very often in our hurt, we feel like God seems to be the one we're most upset with. When I'm angry, when I'm hurting, when I feel like life has been unjust to me, to choose to come to God with my pain is a tough decision because often if I look deeply within myself, I realize that God might be the one I'm most mad at. So to come and talk to the one that I'm upset with takes a little bit of courage. 
It's not a foregone conclusion that when we are hurting, we will turn to God. But it is his invitation that whether we're hurting or not, he will receive us. If you have your Bibles with you today, or maybe you read your Bible on your phone, and that's totally cool, find your way, if you will, to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Psalm is like right in the middle of the book, if you have the book. Hold it open and it kind of falls to the middle. Psalm chapter 77. And I'm using that as kind of an anchor place today because it is a strong biblical example of lament. It is a place where when we read the text, we see literally categorically spelled out for us how we do this together. The author of this psalm is not David. It's a man named Asaph. And we have the words that Asaph wrote according to a scribe named Jedithan. And both of these men were involved in the priestly service in the tabernacle. They'd been appointed by King David to lead the congregation in worship and to sing at the dedication of the temple. So we know that these are important people. This is not just some random writing from people that don't matter. These are people in charge of worship. It's their job to teach other people how to do it. And Asaph begins to record the words of a song that was sung in worship by God's people. And here is how the song begins. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven. But even then my soul was not comforted. Stop just for a minute. The song says, God, I came to you. I looked for you. Stuff was bad and I turned to you and I didn't feel you. I chose to come to you. But all through the night, when I was shouting out your name, I couldn't feel you there. From the very beginning of this song, the songwriter identifies a choice to come to God with his pain. The beginning of the verse frames the tone for the whole rest of the song. The author is hurting, and he's troubled, and he needs to process all of that. You know what that's like? When something heavy comes to you, and you don't know what to do with it, and you've got to process, and some of you are internal processors, right? And so you sit with it, and it just kind of crackles around in your head for a long time, and some of you are verbal processors, and it just comes out in torrents, right? I won't ask you to raise your hand and self-identify. I know most of you verbal processors. We talk together. It's all good. And the rest of you sit silent going, can she see me thinking, right? We process in different ways, but the author of this song is saying, look, bad stuff is happening. I got to process this with somebody. He is not quiet and he is not hiding, suffering in silence. He's shouting. Have you ever had a moment where you get in your car and shut the door because you know nobody else is there and then you let God have it? <gasps> I have. And he can handle it. And he actually says, it's okay. You say to me whatever you need to say. I want to hear from you. You don't have to pick up the phone and call me just when things are good. I know you're dealing with bad news. I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. Engage me. Talk to me. Tell me. Call me. So Asaph turns to God, not to friends, not to enemies, not taking pain or hurt to anyone else, but to the one who can help. And he says, when I was in trouble, I searched for 
the Lord. This is the place where it gets super sticky for us, friends. Because when we hurt, this is not the first place that we often come. Oh, we want God to fix it, and we'll tell him. We'll cry out. We'll tell him exactly what we think he needs to do. But he is not always the first one that we turn to. To choose to come to God in our pain takes courage. In Psalm 142, the songwriter says, I pour out my complaints before him. I tell him all my troubles. God doesn't just handle our grief. He welcomes it. He says, you can bring it to me and I will listen. So the question this morning is, when that happens to you, where do you turn? To a neighbor or a friend or a parent or a partner? Because I have a word for you today. No temporary Savior can replace the real thing. Let me say it again. No temporary Savior in your life can replace the real thing. And God has invited us to come to him just as when we're rejoicing and he promises his presence on every occasion. And honestly, he is the best place to turn. And because those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus have been invited into God's family as adopted children, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we're free to come into God's presence with confidence and know that God will not only hear what we have to say, but respond to us. We witnessed that a couple weeks ago. It was an incredibly brave act. As we heard the Hebrew writer say to us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And then we watched it happen in our altars. We can come with confidence and know that what we are looking for, we will find. And we didn't just say it and hope that it was true. We watched it happen because it's real. We can choose to talk to other people, but God invites us to take our pain to him and then corporately to share it with each other. But his desire is that he would always come first. And at the moment we come to God, the weight of our burdens then suddenly starts to surface in all of our words. And when we find a safe audience with God, we speak and God invites us to cry it out. Bring it all. Yell, holler, scream, weep, stomp your feet, shake your fist, whatever that looks like for you. The second action of lament is to cry out to God. And God doesn't say crying out looks this way. Crying out looks this way. Listen, just as unique as we are made are the unique ways that we respond to the tension and conflict in our life. And God will receive all of our expressions of crying out, whatever it looks like. The psalmist brought every question and every complaint they had to God. They begged for rescue. They asked for relief. They were looking for help. They wanted salvation. They wanted deliverance. There was nothing too big, nothing too hard for God to handle. And so they just brought it all. I don't know how to do this, God. You got to fix it. This is what I think I need. I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to trust you. Look back at Psalm 77 for a minute. Asaph specifically says, I cry out to the Lord, but this is not a calm and cool conversation, okay? This is impassioned and infused with suffering, and he's so emphatic about it, he repeats it, but instead of saying, I'm crying, he says, hello, I'm shouting, can you hear me? 
I cry out to God, and I'm trying to keep my eyes above the waves so I can see the one I'm talking to, but I'm about to be overtaking, and I'm going under. Can you hear me? When we read through other examples in Scripture, we see people who lament, come before God, messy and broken and weeping and wailing. They are the hot mess stories of 2,000 years ago. And I am so glad because it makes this hot mess in 2019 feel a little bit better. Maybe it will for you. People are not putting on happy, shiny versions of themselves in Scripture. They just show up, which proves that pretending is really pointless because God sees and knows you intimately anyway. He knit you together in your mother's womb. There's not a stitch of you he doesn't know he has numbered the very hairs on your head he knows the number of days that he has ordained for you he knows it all so hiding and pretending and playing is pointless he already knows he'd just rather hear it from you than watch from afar psalm 6 says i am weary with my moaning every night i flood my bed with tears and have drenched my couch with my weeping. Y'all, that ain't a waterbed. That's lament. That is, I couldn't sleep and I sobbed all night. David expressed his despair with pretty great drama. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck, deeper and deeper. I sink into the mire and I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods are overwhelming me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping. I am waiting for my God to help me. Ever had an ugly cry? Maybe that doesn't translate for gentlemen the same way it translates for ladies. And I know a lot of guys that when they start to break down, they try to stifle it up real fast because they don't want anybody to see. The torrent of emotions that comes behind that, that's where David was. And he was a dude. He was tired. He was worn. His throat was raw. And he felt like he wasn't going to make it. He was suffocating in his grief. And he brought it all to God. And he laid it all out in front of him. Pastor and teacher Dallas Willard says that lament psalms teach us to pray our inner conflicts and contradictions. They give us permission to shake our fist at God in one moment and then break into doxology or song the next. That's why sometimes it feels so weird to come into this place. When in the car, you've been yelling at God and then you show up to sing a song. Something about that feels strange until you find out that God says that's perfectly normal. I created you to do both. You can let me know how you feel and still praise me. And even though it feels like there's tension, that's exactly, exactly the way that you can come. Crying out gives us room to be honest and initiates an important step in our pain. Recognition. We start to name it. We give it a name. Author Madeline Lingle says that when we speak the things that we think, we, it's in an incarnational act. We give birth to the thoughts in our head because we've spoken them out into the world. 
And God is inviting us in lament to speak it out loud, not just for it to be trapped up in our mind where the enemy's going to have his way with us, but to name it before him and in the presence of other people so that we can surround one another in our own grief and go, okay, oh, we're not okay, but it's okay because we know somebody that can handle it. Crying out to God is an invitation, whether it's a complaint. Why aren't you helping me? Where are you right now, the God who keeps his promises? Or a total collapse, I can't do this anymore, God, I'm done. God welcomes all of the words of our reality. He says, you bring whatever you have to me, because I can take it. And when we cry out to God, it launches us into the third action of lament, which is calling for help. There's one thing to cry out and say, I'm done, I'm over it. I've cried until I can't cry anymore. I feel like a giant salt lick. There's tears all over my face. I can't go out in public anymore. But there's another thing to then say, I'm done and I need you. I'm done and I need your help. I'm done and you're going to have to do something because God, I can't. While we could ask for many different kinds of assistance, Seeking God's involvement is an intentional act to invite help from the one who can actually intervene in our circumstances. So often we'll tell people about our troubles and they can't do anything about it either. And now, instead of having a partner in the journey, we've got one more person who we have laden with our own burden, who can't do anything to help, who now repeats our own grief to us when we can't do anything about it. And God says, but I can. And so instead of turning to temporary numbing agents, and for any of us it could be different things, food, drink, gossip, slander, lots of other ways that we escape, binge-watching, buying, the psalmist say, instead, go ask the all-present, all-powerful, all-capable God to provide for us in his own way. In Psalm 142, as David is crying out for help from his enemies, he says, Listen to my cry, Lord, for I'm desperate in need. Rescue me from the people who are pursuing me because they're too strong for me. A.K.A., hey, God, I can't do this by myself. If you want to send an army around the corner, that would be great because if you don't, I'm dead meat. Just one psalm before in Psalm 141, David is praying for God to tame his own anger and behavior. God, take control of what I say and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Friends, that's a cry for help. That's, God, I'm in trouble, and my mouth is going to get me in more trouble, and I need you to shut me up because I'm about to say some things that I shouldn't, and I need help. I can't do it on my own. And because the Psalms of Lament, remember more than 40% of the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament, because they have such a wide range of issues, individually and corporately, there are an equal number of ways in which those who are lamenting can invite God's intervention into their situation. If you are struggling, the Psalms will help you find a way to voice asking for help in the way you need it. It's there. And I think that one of the ways that we limit our witness to the outside world 
about God's faithfulness is our unwilling or our inability to ask for God's help. We want to look for answers and deliverances in a lot of places, but most often we look for it in ourselves. I'll fix this. I can do this. Nobody else wants to help me. I'll just help myself. Buckle down and get it done. I can take care of it. But lament is the transparent admission that we cannot repair our own brokenness, but we believe that God can. Lament is a transparent admission from me to God and everybody else around me that I can't fix what's broken in me, but I believe that God can. Which is why the fourth action of lament is so important. Confessing your faith in God. Where many times our personal prayers and our petitions have a list of needs that we want God to answer. God, here are the things you need to do for me. Here's how you need to respond to the situation I am. I'm just going to tell you, I already know what I need. Lord, just do this and it'll be fine. Lament as, as worship, as an act of worship, turns petition into praise. It says, I can bring all of this before the Lord, and he doesn't look at me and go, well, thanks a lot. I got your laundry list today, but yeah, great. Glad we could be friends. God says, no, I recognize that you are coming to me and asking for help because you believe I am someone that can intervene in your life. And in the spirit of lament as worship, Lamenters always ended with a word of confidence in God. It is so easy and so tempting to wallow in our grief and to stay in the place of pain because while it hurts, it's familiar. And we'll just fake fine when we're not and pretend that it's okay. But when we make that choice, the enemy wins every time. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of the enemy winning I'm tired of it. We have been called overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and I am tired of God's people living in defeat when we can stand in victory because we worship the one whose power exists in us to give us a way to say, I am hurting, but you are faithful. I don't see where this is going to go, but you do. And I will not let the enemy win today. I'm sorry, but y'all just are not excited enough about that. I'm just going to tell you, I think it's endemic of the people of God that you are not excited enough that there is a power at work within you that allows you to not live defeated anymore. And it can hurt and be hard and you can struggle and all of it's real, but you don't have to stay stuck. And a confession of your faith in God, even in the midst of the hardest times, is an expression of faith that God has done it before and will do it again and will do it in your circumstance. It's time for the people of God to get a little more passionate about the power that exists within them. Because until we do, nothing will change. As long as we wallow and as long as we grieve and as long as we personally pitch fits privately, the enemy wins every time and it's time for it to stop. In the name of the God that we worship, we live with more power than that. And I don't know about you, but I am excited for the day that God's people stand up and say, no more. No more. 
I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to live defeated anymore. I'm standing in the power and the presence of the one who can redeem me because a proclamation of faith in my God says that I will not be defeated, but I will be delivered. I will not be defeated. I may be struggling. I may be hard-pressed on every side, but I am not crushed. I may be persecuted, but I am not abandoned. I may be, as Paul said, struck down, but I am not destroyed. I may feel defeated, but I will be delivered because my faith is in the one who can bring me through. Lament ends with a confession of faith in God because he is the only one that can do it. And if we really believe in the one that can, oh, friends, what would happen? What would actually happen if we put our money where our mouth is, if we put our feet where our faith is, and we started walking out the things that we have said for so long that we believe? Look at the end of Psalm 77, and you'll see the psalmist say, But I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. For your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. At the end of this deep confession of pain, at the end of the song, Asaph says, but we will sing of the God who did it before and believe that he can do it again. That's the end of the song. God, I'm weeping. I'm crying out. I'm broken. Life is messed up. We need you. I searched for you. I cried all night and I couldn't find you. Life's really hard. Where are you? But I remember what you've done. I remember where you were. And oh God, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. You can and you will. You know one of the most famous laments of all time. One of the most famous declarations of our faith in God comes straight from a book called The Book of Laments. Straight from Lamentation. The writer says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul was downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. You can sob all night and wet your bed with tears. But when you wake up in the morning, his mercies are new, and his faithfulness will greet you, and he will walk you through the day that he has ordained for you because he is faithful and he is good, and his compassion never, ever fails. I don't know what you're walking through, but I know that hurt is coming with or without God, but he will make all the difference. Friends, difficulty is coming with or without him, but he is the one who makes all the difference. And in him we are overcomers. In him we are victorious. In him we have a power accessible to us that no one else ever has, and it's time to start living as people of power. And before you say, Pastor Joy, I can't come in here on a Sunday morning and do that. I'm just going to be real. I'll do it in my car, I'll do it at home. I'll do it in the shower when the water's running and nobody can hear me yell. 
I want to say this to you. The idea that that was then and this is now, that's a lie from the enemy. Do you know that in some traditions of faith, even today, that lament is the largest part of the way that God's people prays? In the African-American church, spirituals are the language of lament. It is the way that God's people sing songs to him about the pain that they've been through. They cry out for help, and at the end, they confess the goodness of God. The father of gospel, Tommy Dorsey, wrote the lament, Precious Lord. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on and let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn, but through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on. Mahalia Jackson, years after Tommy Dorsey penned this song, sang it at the funeral of Martin Luther King Jr. A song of lament and yet a song of hope that there was a hand reaching out to take hold of and in the middle of the valley that God would lead them out. Or maybe you know the song, I Love the Lord, made famous by Whitney Houston in the movie A Preacher's Wife. Do you know the words from that song are straight out of Psalm 116, the first two verses? I love the Lord. He heard my cry, and he pitied every groan. As long as I live and troubles rise, I will hasten to his throne. That's all the song says. Two verses of Scripture. And she took a spiritual, she took a psalm, a song of lament, and made it famous. Because she was willing to be honest about her pain. And here's the thing. When you listen to her sing that song and you know the broken life that she led, how messy and how sad the story of her life turned out, and you hear her sing, it will transform you the next time you listen to it. Look it up on YouTube. Go home and Google it. I love the Lord. Why do I love the Lord? Because he hears my cry and he pities every groan. I don't love him just because he's going to fix it. I love him because he'll listen to me when it's not fixed. And wouldn't it just be good today if we could tell the Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you love me even when I'm not fixed. And I didn't have to get fixed up to show up here today, but I could come as I am and you would take me as I am. And I know with you, things will be transformed in time. And it might not happen on my watch, but oh God, it will happen on your watch because I'm an overcomer. And I live with the power of the Spirit in me. Here's the one song, baby, you have sung in worship already and you didn't know it was a lament until now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. We sing it up-tempo, drums, guitars. The tempo of the song does not erase that it's a lament. You give and you take away. You give and you take away, but my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Because whether I have it all or I have nothing, as Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance, in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ. And so I place my faith in you and I say, blessed be your name, because I can't see the way out, but oh God, you can. And my eyes are blinded, so precious Lord, take my hand. And lead me on. And friends, the journey might be long. And you may take hold of the Lord's hand, and it might be the longest valley you have ever walked through. But he is with you. And it is better to go with him than to go alone. But the best part is that God didn't ask us to just go with him. He asked us to go with each other.
And so as God is my witness today, my prayer for this place is that we are a place that journeys together through the good and the bad, through the joy and the sorrow, through the celebration and through the defeat, but that we do it honestly before God and we don't do it alone, but we do it together. Lament may feel strange to us or new to us, but it is not. And God created it as a beautiful way for us to come to him in our pain and to give honest words to him, whatever they are. As I close this morning, I'm going to offer you a challenge. And it's simply this, that this week, this week as you are worshiping individually, because remember, worship is not what happens in this building on a Sunday morning. It is whatever we faithfully and extravagantly devote ourselves to, head, heart, and hands. As you worship the Lord this week, here's my invitation to you. Just be real. Don't turn up Caleb to drown out the hurt. Open God's word and sing songs that honor your hurt, that are real, and say, I don't feel good, God. This hurts. And I need you to know I'm, I'm mad. I'm angry because it shouldn't be this way. And I need you to do something because I can't. And then in the middle of all of that, to also say, but I'm choosing to come to you with this because I know you can, and I believe that you will. Would you stand this morning and pray with me as we prepare to respond to the Lord? Gracious God, for too long we've done church a certain way, and we have done a lot of pretending and perhaps what breaks your heart the most is that you know all along what's really going on inside. And so as glad as we are to see one another, as happy as we are when one of our favorite songs gets sung, God, we don't come into this place for our praise to erase our pain. Because it doesn't. But we do come into this place to experience the presence of the one who can deliver us from the pain that we're in. And who says, I welcome it. You can sing songs to me about how broken you are, about how messed up life is, and I love you. God, you want our praise, but you also want our petition, and there's a way that we can bring both to you in worship. And we're asking for you to not just teach us through your word, but to give us the boldness to live it out every single day so that when we come together in this place, we're people of praise and we're people of lament all at the same time and we can exist in the same space and honor one another. And that there is no stronghold in this place of staring at other people and making judgments about how we worship in this place, but this is holy ground. And we come into your presence and fall at our feet say to you, God, here we are. Here are our honest words about what we're going through. Take it all and help us, Lord, because we can't do it alone. And in the midst of all of the help we know you will bring, we say that you are good and great and you are faithful. And tomorrow your mercies will be as new as they were today. And in the name of Jesus, we choose to believe that the deliverer who has bought our redemption is still actively working to deliver us today. 
God, that's what we pray. That's what we believe. That's what we confess. Now help us to live it out. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the truth that some of us are dealing with stuff that's really hard. Just know that these altars are open this morning as a place for you to come and get real with God. And so here's the thing. If you don't want to do this alone, you come over here to my left-hand side and I or someone will join you in prayer. If you just want to pour out your heart to God in front of Him and you don't want anybody else to be there in that moment, you can come over here or you can sit on these rows to my right or my left and lay it out. We don't pretend in this place anymore. As of today, we're not pretending. We're real before the Lord and we give Him our worship.